The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, we continue the conversation on the talking point here, and it's a final conversation for uh, this morning. We're, we're in conversation with the Bud- Budget Justice um, Coalition. The member of that particular steering committee of that organization is Andile Zulu. Andile, good morning to you. Thanks for your time. Good morning, and uh, good morning to you and your listeners. Thanks for having us. What you have done is you've submitted a response to Inokodongwana's medium-term budget policy statement, and you're saying that effectively you've noted deficiencies in that statement that won't necessarily result in improvements around the baseline issues that we face as a country unemployment, inequality, and poverty. Let's talk about some of these proposals that um, you have brought up. Uh, Yes, yes. From our perspective, we think that the midterm budget speech continues on a path of what can be called austerity. So essentially trying to solve the problem of government debts through cutting public expenditure to vital services such as health, education, Uh, water and electricity provision, for example. Um, And we think that this has a lot of adverse effects on the millions of South Africans who are poor and unemployed. But moreover, as the BJC, we think that it it dilutes our ability to deal uh, with achieving human rights and socioeconomic justice. Austerity versus fiscal discipline seems to be what um, the minister was really uh, faced with. He, of course, has argued that if the country doesn't begin to show some fiscal discipline, we are only increasing our debt, which is really the gift that we're going to give to future generations. Well, the minister retains a perspective that we don't think is the most useful currently in terms of what South Africa really needs. So we think that when you have millions of people who are unemployed and who are poor and who rely on the state for many essential services, we think that it's quite counterintuitive to then cut expenditure towards those services. But even secondly, if you look at what austerity measures have done throughout the world in the past just 50 years, for example, they often lead to a contraction in the economy because people have less to spend, they have less economic agency, and businesses have less pools of profits and revenues to be able to then expand the economy and to be able to then also expand employment opportunities. But even moreover, I'd finally say that we also have to consider this question of debt and how the government says that, look, we're in an incredible amount of debt and so that we have to exercise fiscal discipline, even though they are in fact increasing the amount of loans that they're getting from the international stage, especially from institutions like the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. Foreign loans that come with interest, foreign loans that must be paid in a foreign currency as the rand is also depreciating. So what we're seeing is the government is using debt as a justification to shrink the public sector, even though South Africa is immersed so deeply in a series of socioeconomic crises. We don't think these measures are the correct medicine for what plagues the country and the economy. Let's speak more specifically about the decisions which you believe um, support, support the point that, that you're making, and in particular around austerity. What are the decisions, you can give me a couple of them, 
out of the budget that you believe point to austerity and not just fiscal discipline? So, for example, within the 2023 budget speech initially in February and what's sustained in the recent midterm budget speech, we see significant real-term cuts to education, to healthcare, and to employment simulation. But we also see these cuts occurring in the context of inflation. So when it relates to social relief, for example, um, the value of social relief has to be taken in consideration of a cost of living crisis that's occurring and the crisis of inflation um, as well. We also think the reluctance to reform the procurement process is a significant issue. But we also think the reductions, for example, to um, corporate tax are a significant issue in a context where we're the most unequal country in the world, and yet we consistently decrease corporate taxes instead of trying to find a way to initiate a progressive tax reform that could alleviate poverty and unemployment and that could also be facilitated towards socioeconomic uh, uh, development. And then, of course, there's the issue of the public wage bill. Um, We think that it is the incorrect time to try and uh, essentially put public employees in a situation where um, their wages cannot keep up with inflation and in a situation where the current measures announced by the Treasury are going to result in um, more vacancies in the public sector in a time when we have a crisis in health and education, for example. So when the minister talks about reprioritizing budgets um, and effectively cutting where they can in, in, in programs that they believe, well, not necessarily are nice to have, but in, you know, cutting programs in exchange for priority areas and programs that are being run in, in priority areas, do you not think that that makes a difference? Well, so so we think what needs to be prioritized in the current context, you have to make a way up between, um, if I were to put it like this, if you have a crisis of unemployment and poverty, right, which leads to issues of health, which leads to issues within families, which leads to issues of crime and safety, for example, what you do need then is to be able to cultivate a state that has the capacity, that has the financial resources, and that has the strategic focus to be able to deal with those issues. What the Treasury is currently doing is hoping that if they are able to shrink the public sector, they're able to pave a path for more private sector penetration within certain services, but they're also hoping to appease international creditors as well in the hopes that um, we're able then to invite more investments and we're able to perhaps even acquire more loans. But we don't think it is the correct medicine right now to try and cultivate an economy that is completely open to grow solely through investment. We think there are other measures through which you can both grow the economy and protect people's dignity and protect people's socioeconomic rights. So what do you believe is the greatest cost um, of the current budget? So the greatest cost, honestly, is debt servicing. Um, the, the government spends more on servicing its debt than it does on any uh, socioeconomic zones, whether they be education, employment simulation, the police and the judiciary system, for example. Um, over 300 billion rand 
is spent um, by the government on serving its, its debt in the context where, for example, we recently received the loan from the World Bank last week and where we have also entered into the Just Transition Partnership, which relies quite intensely on uh, concessional loans to be able to finance our energy transition. We think that's an unsustainable situation and it's likely to trap us in debt and also limit our fiscal maneuvering room to be able to deal with poverty and unemployment or the inadequate infrastructure that we have. The government has earmarked that particular deal around um, the just energy transition. And I, I think just not just a limited to JetP, but even beyond just the transition um, from you know, fossil to cleaner energy as something that is an opportunity for this country that will create not less, but more jobs. So this is a big misconception about the Just Energy Transition Partnership, and this is why it's crucial for us to really interrogate what government says and look into the details. If you actually look at what the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund have said, they are essentially saying that, and the International Partners Group, who um, is providing a huge amount of this climate loan, uh, climate financing, they're saying that, look, we are going to give you the funds that you require to be able to decarbonize, but you must make this decarbonization a profitable endeavor for international investors and for domestic big business that seeks to penetrate into the energy markets with renewable sources of energy. And the problem with this is that they then also require us to adopt certain structural reforms in our economy that we think are quite dangerous. The World Bank, for example, has been very clear that in order to um, create a new energy market on renewable energy, that we're going to have to ease collective bargaining, we're going to have to reduce minimum wage, and we're going to have to introduce forms of work that we would call precarious and casual. So essentially they want labor that is cheap, and we think that's not going to be good for workers. The International Partners Group has also been very clear that we're going to have to remove certain labor, industrial, and environmental regulations to achieve this this green energy market. We think that is going to hurt communities that are going to be affected by infrastructure development. We also think it's going to damper the workers' rights. But even more than that, the World Bank and the IMF have been very clear that we have to continue the path of fiscal consolidation. In other words, we have to continue cutting um, public expenditure and making more room for the private sector to penetrate um, into the South African economy, especially as it relates to infrastructure. And we think that the transition cannot be left in the hands of private sectors. We think that the transition must be led by ordinary South Africans in terms of their perspectives and their inputs leading the process. But also we think to make decarbonization a pursuit of profits is quite counterintuitive and dangerous. If you look, in fact, at how this has unfolded in Europe, investment in renewable energy has stalled because the amounts of costs that are required initially to build the infrastructure, the transmission lines, the power stations is massive and businesses aren't able to yield returns. And so they need subsidies based on the taxes of citizens. We think it's an untenable and unsustainable way to deal with the energy transition. We believe in a public approach to dealing with the energy transition, that it is led by a state that has the capacity, that is democratic, and that is informed first and foremost, not only by science, but by the interest of citizens. 
Andile Zulu is a member of the Budget Justice Coalition's Steering Committee. And of course, that is where we wrap things up for uh, the talking point this morning. Up next is the book reading. And this morning, uh, we're kicking off with the new book, Simply Larry, written by Elias Masilela. And the reader is Simpiwe Ngosi.